Chapter Thirty One of the House of the Wolfings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The House of the Wolfings by William Morris. Chapter Thirty One. Old Osmond speaketh over the war dukes. The dead are laid in mound. Now, while all looked on, he went to the place where lay the bodies of the war-dukes, and looked down on the face of Otter, and said, O Otter, there thou liest, and thou that I knew of old, when my beard began to whiten, as the best of the keen and the bold, and thou wert as my youngest brother, and thou didst lead my sons, when we fared forth over the mountains to meet the arrowy Huns and I smiled to see thee teaching the lore that I learned thee erst. O otter, dost thou remember how the goth-folk came by the worst? And with thee in mine arms I waded the wide shaft-harrowed flood that lapped the feet of the mountains with its water blent with blood. And how in the hollow places of the mountains hidden away we abode the kindred's coming as the wet night bideth day. Dost thou remember, otter, how many a joy we had, how many a grief remembered has made our high tide glad! O fellow of the hall-glee, O fellow of the field, why hast thou then departed and left me under shield? I the ancient, I the childless, while yet in the laxing hall are thy brother's sons abiding, and their children on thee call. O kindreds of the people, the soul that dwelt herein, this goodly wayworn body was keen for you to win good days and long endurance. Who knoweth of his deed what things for you it hath fashioned from the flame of the fire of need? But of this at least well wot we, that forth from your hearts it came, and back to your hearts returneth for the seed of thriving and fame. In the ground wherein ye lay it, the body of this man, no deed of his abideth, no glory that he wan, but evermore the markman shall bear his deeds o'er earth, with the joy of the deeds that are coming, the garlands of his worth. He was silent a little as he stood looking down on Otter's face with grievous sorrow, for all that his words were stout. For indeed, as he had said, Otter had been his battle-fellow and his hall-fellow, though he was much younger than Osmond, and they had been standing foot to foot in that battle wherein old Osmond's sons were slain by his side. After a while he turned slowly from looking at Otter to gaze upon Theodolf, and his body trembled as he looked and he opened his mouth to speak, but no word came from it, and he sat down upon the edge of the bier, and the tears began to gush out of his old eyes, and he wept aloud. Then they that saw him wondered, for all knew the stoutness of his heart, and how he had borne more burdens than of eld, and had not cowered down under them. But at last he arose again, and stood firmly on his feet, and faced the folk-mote, and in a voice more like the voice of a man in his prime than that of an old man, he sang, Wild the storm is abroad, of the edge of the sword, Far on runneth the path, of the war stride of wrath, The gods hearken and hear, the long rumour of fear From the meadows beneath, running fierce o'er the heath, Till it beats round their dwelling-place, builded aloof, And at last all upswelling breaks wild o'er their roof, and quencheth their laughter, and crieth on all, as it rolleth round rafter and beam of the hall, like the speech of the thunder-cloud tangled on high, when the mountain-halls sunder as dread goeth by. 
so they throw the door wide of the hall where they bide, and to murmuring song turns that voice of the wrong, and the gods wait a gaze for that wearer of ways, for they know he hath gone a long journey alone. Now his feet are they hearkening, and now is he come, with his battle-wounds darkening the door of his home. Unburnied, unshielded, and lonely he stands, and the sword that he wielded is gone from his hands. Hands outstretched and bearing no spoil of the fight, as speechless, unfearing he stands in their sight. War-father gleams where the white light streams round kings of old all red with gold, and the gods of the name with joy aflame, all the ancient of men grown glorious again, till the slain's father crieth aloud at the last, Here is one that belieth no hope of the past, no weapon, no treasure of earth doth he bear, no gift for the pleasure of God home to share. But life his hand bringeth, well cherished, most sweet, and hark the hall singeth the folk-wolf to greet. As the rain of May on earth's happiest day, so the fair flowers fall on the sun-bright hall, as the gods rise up with the greeting cup, and the welcoming crowd falls to murmur aloud. Then the god of earth speaketh, sweet wordeth he saith, Lo, the sun ever seeketh life fashioned of death, and to-day as he turneth the wide world about, on wolfstead he yearneth, for there without doubt dwells the death-fashioned story, the flower of all fame. Come hither, new glory, come crown of the name." All men's hearts rose high as he sang, and when he had ended arose the clang of sword and shield, and went ringing down the meadow, and the mighty shout of the markman's joy rent the heavens. For in sooth at that moment they saw Theodulf, their champion, sitting among the gods on his golden chair, sweet savours around him, and the sweet sound of singing, and he himself bright-faced and merry as no man on earth had seen him, for as joyous a man as he was. But when the sound of their exultation sank down, the hall-sun spake again. Now wendeth the sun westward, and weary grows the earth, of all the long day's doings in sorrow and in mirth, and as the great sun waneth so doth my candle wane, and its flickering flame desireth to rest and die again. Therefore across the meadows wend we aback once more to the holy roof of the wolfings, the shrine of peace and war. And these that once have loved us, these warriors' images, shall sit amidst our feasting, and see as the Father sees, the works that menfolk fashion and the rest of toiling hands, when his eyes look down from the mountains and the heavens above all lands, and up from the flowery meadows and the rolling deeps of the sea. There then at the feast with our champions familiar shall we be, as oft we are with the godfolk, when in story-rhymes and lays we laugh as we tell of their laughter and their deeds of other days. Come then, ye sons of the kindreds who hither bore these twain, take up their beds of glory, and fare we home again, and feast as men delivered from toil unmeet to bear who through the night are looking to the dawn-tide fresh and fair, and the morn and the noon to follow, and the eve in its morrow morn, all the life of our deliverance and the fair days yet unborn. So she spoke, and a murmur arose as those valiant men came forth again. But lo, now were they dight in fresh and fair raiment and gleaming war array, for while all this was a doing and a saying, they had gotten them by the hall-sons bidding unto the wains of their houses, and had arrayed them from the store therein. So now they took up the biers, and the hall-son led them, and they went over the meadow before the throng of the kindreds, who followed them duly ordered, each house about its banner, 
and when they were come through the garth which the Romans had made to the man-store of the hall, there were the women of the house freshly attired, who cast flowers on the living men of the host, and on the dead war-dukes, while they wept pity of them. So went the freemen of the houses into the hall, following the hall-son, and the bearers of the war-dukes, but the banners abode without in the garth made by the Romans, and the thralls arrayed a feast for themselves about the wains of the kindreds in the open place before their cots, and the smithying booths and the byres. And as the hall-son went into the hall, she thrust down the candle against the threshold of the man-store, and so quenched it. Long were the kindreds entering, and when they were under the roof of the wolfings, they looked and behold Theodolf set in his chair once more, and Otter set beside him, and the chiefs and leaders of the house took their places on the dais, those to whom it was due, and the hall-son sat under the wondrous lamp, her namesake. Now was the glooming falling upon the earth, but the hall was bright within, even as the hall-son had promised. Therein was set forth the treasure of the wolfings, fair cloths were hung on the walls, goodly broidered garments on the pillars, goodly brazen cauldrons and fair carven chests were set down in nooks where men could see them well, and vessels of gold and silver were set all up and down the tables of the feast. The pillars also were wreathed with flowers, and flowers hung garlanded from the walls over the precious hangings. Sweet gums and spices were burning in fair-wrought censers of brass, and so many candles were alight under the roof, that scarce had it looked more ablaze when the Romans had litten the faggots therein for its burning amidst the hurry of the morning battle. There then they fell to feasting hallowing in the high tide of their return with victory in their hands, and the dead corpses of Theodolf and Otter, clad in precious glistering raiment, looked down on them from the high seat, and the kindreds worshipped them and were glad, and they drank the cup to them before any others, were they gods or men. But before the feast was hallowed in, came Ali the son of Grey up to the high seat, bearing something in his hand, and lo, it was a throng-plough, which he had sought all over the field where the markmen had been overcome by the Romans, and had found it at last. All the men saw him how he held it in his hand now as he went up to the hall-son, and spake to her. But she kissed the lad on the forehead, and took throng-plough, and wound the peace-strings round him, and laid him on the board before Theodolf, and then she spake softly, as if to herself, yet so that some heard her. O oh, father! No more shalt thou draw throng-plough from the sheath till the battle is pitched in the last field of fight, and the sons of the fruitful earth and the sons of day meet Swart and his children at last, when the change of the world is at hand. Maybe I shall be with thee then. But now and in meanwhile farewell, O mighty hand of my father." Thus then the houses of the mark held their high tide of returning under the wolfing roof, with none to blame them or make them afraid and the moon rose, and the summer night wore on towards dawn, and within the roof and without was their feasting and singing and harping, and the voice of abundant joyance. For without the roof feasted the thralls and the strangers, and the Roman war-captives. But on the morrow the kindreds laid their dead men in mound betwixt the great roof and the wildwood. In one mound they laid them with the war-dukes in their midst, and Arenbjorn by Otter's right side, and Theodolf bore throng-plough to mound with him. But a little way from the mound of their own dead, toward the south they laid the Romans, a great company, with their captain in the midst, and they heaped a long mound over them not right high, so that as years wore, and the feet of men and beasts trod it down, 
it seemed a mere swelling of the earth not made by men's hands, and belike men knew not how many bones of valiant men lay beneath, yet it had a name which endured for long, to wit, the battle-toft. But the mound whereunder the markmen were laid was called Theodolf's Howe for many generations of men, and many are the tales told of him, for men were loath to lose him and forget him, and in the latter days men deemed of him that he sits in that howe not dead, but sleeping, with throng-plough laid before him on the board, and that when the sons of the Goths are at their sorest need, and the falcons cease to sit in the ridge of the great roof of the wolfings, he will wake, and come forth from the howe for their helping. But none have dared to break open that howe, and behold what is therein. But that swelling of the meadow where the Goths had their overthrow at the hands of the Romans, and Theodolf fell to earth unwounded, got a name also, and was called the Swooning No, and it kept that name long after men had forgotten wherefore it was so called. Now when all this was done, and the warriors of the kindreds were departed each to his own stead, the wolfings gathered in wheat-harvest, and set themselves to make good all that the Romans had undone and they cleansed and mended their great roof, and made it fairer than before, and took from it all signs of the burning, save that they left the charring and marks of the flames on one tie-beam, the second from the dais, for a token of past tidings. Also when harvest was over, the wolfings, the beamings, the galtings, the elkings, set to work with the bearings to rebuild their great roof, and the other dwellings and booths which the Romans had burned, and right fair was that house. But the wolfings throve in field and fold, and they begat children who grew up to be mighty men, and deft of hand, and the house grew more glorious year by year. The tale tells not that the Romans ever fell on the mark again, for about this time they began to stay the spreading of their dominion, or even to draw in its boundaries somewhat. And this is all that the tale has to tell, concerning the house of the wolfings, and the kindreds of the mark. End of chapter 31 End of the House of the Wolfings by William Morris